and welcome to Fiction, Faith and Familiar Themes, a conversation about watching what we watch through gospel lenses. We're going to be looking at some popular movie tropes, narrative devices and plot points that keep popping up again and again in the media that we consume. Human beings are instinctively drawn to these familiar story beats and we're going to talk about how and where they intersect or disagree with the gospel. Today, I'm joined by Pete, Mari, and Andy, and we're going to be looking at the oft-repeated theme of the sacrificial death. Each of us are going to suggest a movie where we see these themes exemplified. We're going to talk about them and where they cross paths with the gospel. So, uh, let's get started. You can't win, Darth. Strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, for all these movies, spoiler warning, in case we touch on a movie that you haven't seen, uh, but we'll mention a movie way up front so you can skip ahead if you haven't seen it. I'm going to be talking about Avengers Endgame and quite a bit of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My example of the sacrificial death is Tony Stark. You have been warned for spoilers. Tony Stark dying at the end of Avengers Endgame. Iron Man. Iron Man. Have you guys all seen it? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have. Oh, no! <laughs> for ages, and then someone spoiled it for me before I actually had the chance to see it in cinema. Oh, um, no. Heartbreaking. So this is the 20 something movie from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, this is the culmination of phase three and over 10 years of Marvel movies uh, and over 10 years of the story arc of Tony Stark. The Tony story arc. Um, yeah, no, you're not going <laughs> to <help. laughs> uh. So Tony Stark began his time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as this war profiteering ironmonger uh, who created weapons of mass destruction for the military and eventually became a superhero, Iron Man, uh, but was renowned as the kind of self-serving, self-promoting ladies man who didn't really care about anyone else. Uh, there's that wonderful scene in the original Avengers movie where Steve Rogers, Captain America, challenges him as he's not the guy to lay down his life on the line. And more um, Avengers Endgame then finishes with Iron Man doing exactly that. He completes his story arc and in face of Thanos, the big bad, about to destroy the known universe and start again from scratch, Tony takes his iron infinity stone gauntlet with the infinity stones in place and snaps his fingers knowing full well this will be his own demise with the famous words finishing i am iron man this uh this scene is a full payoff to that 10-year period of seeing him go from this self-centered egotistical superhero to the very fulfillment of what Captain America challenged him who he wasn't to be. 
um, the man who lays his life down on the line for everybody else. Um, and we see in this then, we see that, that act of very deliberately and knowingly put his life in the place of others. And because he was willing to pay his own life in exchange for saving the world, the world was not destroyed. The world was saved. And, and he rid the world of the great evil of the day, Thanos and his armies. So what do you think? Ooh. I think it's a, it's, I suppose, over the entire Marvel um, kind of storyline following him, it is a good character development and change. Mm-hmm. Because if you, you know, if you had to know what was going to happen at the start of the very first Iron Man, that he was going to die in the end, you wouldn't have really seen it coming. Hmm. Whereas you eventually kind of gradually finally see his character change to where he's willing to um do that. Um Yeah, he's the kind of character who's seen as there is no no win situation. He feels like he can always out yeah. or outmaneuver his way out of any situation. Um yeah. and this is the the situation where he's not able to. Yeah. And the way he he realizes that he can he kind of he doesn't maybe push it on to someone else mm-hmm. to take the fall or just simply kind of get out of there maybe or something and you know you maybe see it other times um I think it's earlier on in end game um that he's maybe not in favor of the plan but then he gradually then realizes that he does need to do it yeah um, willing to kind of actually um sacrifice himself in the end mm-hmm. um, a gas ceremony moment yeah yeah you know very much so um because he he has an end game especially he has his own family he's uh married the pepper pots he has a kid and i mean his main goal and agenda i think he says it himself is to protect what he has and he wants to keep yeah. that for himself um and so I think there's there's a balance between, yes, he wants to protect that and he's willing to give his life to do that. But also if he could if he could just keep that for himself, yeah. At one point he certainly would have, even at the expense of the world. Yeah. So we see, I mean, I think the reason we see this, um, and this is such a compelling story arc in this movie, and as a payoff to 10 years of movies, is because he's so starkly different i get a lot of these in um starkly different from where he starts um he's he's someone who has leveled up and achieved this kind of heroic posture this is not his default persona and then and we feel then the weight of that the how much he's grown as a character and the payoff then of well that 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 meant something because he's sort of figured it, it out. I think they sort of make it quite emotional, and that's why it's such a good ending because it's sort of that's the moment, like something like that is the moment when you realise he's sort of changed from the sort of selfish person that he was at the start of the 
like in the original Iron Man or whatever, and he's completely made that change. But then the moment you realize that is sort of the last thing he does. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's punctuated with the fact that he has everything that he wants and he could quite happily just go off into the sunset yeah. and stay with them. And so it's yeah. sacrificial in the sense that he's giving up Pepper and I can't remember his kid's called, but little Iron <laughs> girl. Iron boy. Girl. Or girl. Iron girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and there's that, you know, that setting them aside and, and willingly, you know, it, it parallels in that sense with the gospel the Philippines two stuff of, of giving up, you know, stepping down that, that yeah. language that Paul used in Philippians two about um, how Christ, he, he had everything that he was, you know, there's that, that reference to, um, let me find it here. He didn't acquire quality with God, something to be grasped, but he, he emptied himself. He gave up everything. And in a sense there, we see a giving up of what he has. But then also it clashes because our heroes are people that we want to see move from faulty and flawed to flawless. Because I think that means that we can resonate more with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. When you kind of see them move from fault from where do you say from flawed to flawless. Yeah. That's right. Then I suppose we kind of see that then maybe in ourselves that we are also then hoping to have that kind of same Do you think there's a, a deep down feeling in humanity of would I be able to make that choice or I hope I would or because no, it's not a choice that you want to make. Yeah. But is there a lingering desire of that I would be able to make that? Yeah, like if you had to make that decision, could you? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's either that or cowardice. You know, you could have what you wanted. Yeah. But then you're a coward. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely think it's a question that probably, you know, the likes of these kind of movies bring up and you kind of you want to be as i suppose as you said you know that you want to be that character who does make the right decision in the end who is the hero yeah yeah to give it up but on the other hand would you do it would you have the capacity in yourself to actually be able to um do that i suppose related into the gospel then in a sense then we know that at least in our world we we don't have that capacity to kind of do the final saving. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, it's, it's set against what, what the hero has, what he is giving up, you know, and, and, and the knowing then that, that Christ gave up the riches of, of glory to step down to death on a cross knowingly. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't tricked into it. It didn't stumble into it. And in the same way that, that it's not an Iron Man happened to die to save the world is that decisive choice of yeah yeah i know this is going to kill me but i'm going to put the glove on i'm going to summon the gems and i'm going to click the finger mm. and i think that the act of 
a savior who knows that he's saving is something that can inspire great hope. Yeah, but I think because then if you're looking, well, with us looking to like Jesus, who has died for us knowing that he's saving us, it would be very different if you were looking to someone who just happened to in some event or activity happened to do the right thing to save us. Yeah. It wasn't really the plan. It wasn't really the intention, but you know what happened. You'd kind of, you know, you'd be, you'd be glad and you'd be good, but after that, it would be kind of maybe that situation then where you'd be like, well, where do we go from here? Yeah, and you wouldn't owe them loyalty then. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's not love in the same way if they yeah. didn't plan to save you, but like where we see it in the gospel, we see it was the plan from the yeah. very beginning that Jesus would die to save us. Mm-hmm. So, Iron Man, yeah. That's that's my example of sacrificial death. Uh, Pete, do you want to go next? Yes, I'm on for it. So, my movie that I've gone for is uh, Rogue One, Star Wars story. Rogue One, may the Force be with you. There's loads of... Um, deaths in it which sounds a bit morbid but that could be viewed as um sacrificial but there's the two i suppose main characters of um Jin and cassian um that die right at the end which is the one that um i was focusing on but just to I suppose give a background to the movie and kind of how the um death is set up um you see at the start that uh Jin's, uh dad has been taken by the empire um, which is the kind of evil side in the movie and it's been taken to create this um, ultimate weapon or ultimate uh, evil in a sense of um, a weapon that can destroy um, planets and he's been taken to do this and she's left and you kind of then see her later on in life and she becomes part of the rebellion wanting to um, I suppose free the galaxy from um, the the power of the empire as well. If anybody, if I get something wrong in here, guys, no, you're doing well. <laughs> like you've been Star Wars all your life. I know. Um, so she joins this, and the movie's kind of all building up to this. Then that she realizes that, or knows that her dad was a part of this, building this ultimate weapon that they're fighting against. But then she also realizes that. While her dad was forced to do this, um, he was he built in a a weakness in the weapon so that if they were able to find the plans and find the weakness, that they would be able to destroy it and I suppose have some sort of freedom from the empire. So the climax of the movie basically comes to Jin and Cassian leading a a fleet of people or <laughs> into um a, I think it's a planet. Yep basically get the plans for the the weapon and to be able to then send it back out to the rest of the rebellion um so that they have these plans so that at some point they'll be able to um destroy this weapon and have some freedom from the the power of the empire but in doing this and going to the to the planet um they know full well that there's an extremely high chance that they'll be able to maybe get the plans but 
they'll not be able to get back out again. But mm-hmm. getting those plans to be able to to save others will result in their um, deaths. And that's what then happens. They eventually do get the plans and they're able to get them out um send them out to the rest of the rebellion so that they knew where this weakness is to destroy the weapon. But in doing this, they find themselves then stuck in this planet as the Death Star, this weapon then does um, turn on them and destroys the, the planet that they're on and results in them dying because of what they've done. And also then there's a few other uh, main characters as well who also have sacrificial deaths throughout it, but that's the main one. And I think I've been thinking about this and I was almost thinking it had in some ways quite a good um, link to the gospel in some ways when you look at these people who were risking their lives to get this message out yeah, uh, to other people so that they can be saved. But I suppose that's then almost looking at them as other Christians, maybe more than... Yeah, it's like the martyrs. Yeah, yeah, that side of things more of mortars than the the ultimate kind of savior. But I've been kind of thinking about that. But um, it's a message yeah. worth communicating. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, what do you guys think then? Are any thoughts relating to that? Yeah, I think there's something about that. That movie in particular, it's very much feel like there is a definite mission. Yeah, you know. Um, that that they're sent that team or they go that 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 the rogue one team goes to the planet to bring liberation to the galaxy to make sure that these plans get out that uh evil the death star is destroyed uh and they and they are aware i suppose more at some point during that mission that they will not get off the planet because I think it is it's the, they beam the signal, they beam the yeah. plans up. Yeah. Uh, Admiral Akbar and those guys. Um, and they know that, the, yeah, the, the message can get out, the plans can go, but they can't. Yeah. They have to stay. It's yeah. them or the plans. Yeah. Because things will correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's maybe as well then a bit of a character development or change in. Jenna, at the start, is she more looking to, I suppose, find her dad, but also, I can't think of the right word, but prove that her dad maybe isn't the evil mastermind that everybody thinks he is? Is that kind of... Yeah, it's a bit complicated, yeah, but something like that. But, and then I think it almost, she does show that, but then also then she initially maybe isn't wanting to be part of the rebellion, but then... Yeah. Is there something... Um, and even I think Cassian Andor, you know, he's a character who's introduced as someone who's willing to kill an yeah. ally for the good of his mission. And yeah. in that sense, is morally ambiguous. Yeah. Um, and will, yeah. you know, shoot someone else, sacrifice someone else. Yeah. And finishes yeah. them with sacrificing himself. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think when you, you see them going into that mission at the end, it's. I suppose the other thing that I was thinking about is that in the movie, and I suppose most of the Star Wars movies, there's quite a, in some ways, evil balance between good and evil. Yeah. Not one. Because when you look at the gospel, you you know that um, in the end that the evil will be defeated. And it's not kind of a question. 
Um, whereas in this, then there's kind of the equal balance, but it's such a small group almost that goes into yeah. try and save everybody. And in the same sense, the outsiders maybe looking at the gospel, it could look like how on earth can one man, one person dying, be the person who saves. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot more uncertainty in the movies just to make it yeah more exciting whereas it wouldn't be very exciting <laughs> yeah <laughs> it wouldn't be much of a story <laughs> you know whereas in the gospel it's just you know you sort of know that god's in control of the whole thing well, he does, um, i suppose in a way holding but in star wars you do know well yeah, well, yeah yes. because True. you know that came out what three years ago we already knew like even if you look at like like the disciples and stuff like there were lots of times when they didn't even know yeah yeah so yeah mm. i mean we we see and and you guys will share your movies as well but this idea of a team or a person sacrificially giving themselves for the good of other people or everybody. It's just, is a recurring trope that is satisfying to watch, you know, to see that, you know, it's often, yeah, it can be a bit of a tearjerker. It can be heavy to watch, but I think there's something satisfying in saying, wow, at that point, it's a good it's a good character arc like when you can see the full like transformation of a character yeah Yeah. i think especially whenever it is someone dubious at first yeah because there's no self-benefit from it you know you can't oh well do this it'll help them but it'll also serve me there is no self-service in it Yeah. yeah i think that's maybe you know, that that's i mean biblically that's love yeah you know the the hollywood version of love is the romantic feeling but actually the self sacrifice is the biblical definition of love it's the giving of yourself for others yeah yeah and i think i suppose when you're looking at movies then although it's in a movie there's the satisfaction as you said or the um, you kind of are looking and thinking, oh, there is, I suppose, you know, people willing to do that. You know, there, yeah. it's like some good or that. There's something in people that, you know, maybe people actually are willing to, yeah, um, be selfless and, um, yeah, it makes you feel good. I think so you're like, yeah. oh, the world is a better place. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Matty, do you want to do yours? Yeah. Um. Yeah, so my film is The Lord of the Rings, um, The Fellowship of the Rings. So it's the first out of the three films. Um, and yeah, we're going to look at Boromir. So, so basically, like if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, so there's this um, group of people a who fellowship. have got to take, yes, a fellowship, <laughs> who have got to take this ring um, to Mordor, where this this like big volcano um and they've got to throw the ring into this volcano to blow it up um because the ring's bad that's like overarching story um so this is the first film um and 
the fellowship to the whole load of them um, are on these boats and they're going down this lake, uh, just yeah, traveling to Mordor um, in the early stages of their journey. Um, but then they get ambushed by these bad guys called Urukai. Um, so the almost like sort of orc bad guy things, big scary monsters. Um, and yeah, so they start attacking them. Um, and then obviously they've just got to run. Um, but to to let the other ones get away, uh, this guy Boromir, you know, like throws the other ones and tells them to run um, on down. And then he stands there to uh, to fight like the bad guy, knowing though that there's so many of them that he's gonna get outnumbered. And then does end up getting outnumbered and shot with quite a lot of arrows from booze. Um, but I think actually, in a small way, it's actually quite similar to. The Iron Man um, story arc. I was actually just thinking when you were saying that, um, even though the Iron Man one is like ten years long, mm-hmm. um, the Boromir one sort of happens over the space of like five minutes. Yeah. Um, because just before, just before, so all of this happens, um, they've they've docked and they're sort of all together um, in this campsite. But then Frodo, who's the guy who's carrying the ring. Uh, he sort of walks off and then Boromir follows him and actually tries to take the ring from Frodo for himself. Um, and you see him as this bad guy who's trying to be selfish and is trying to take this, um, the ring for himself so that he can take it back to, I think it's to take it back to his father, who's yeah. like king of um, another group of people, but we'll not go into all that because that's a little detail. <laughs> but he's effectively um, someone who's failed and given in the temptation yeah and that's and you can really see that like you can see him just talking to Frodo, but then you can see you know his eye looking to the ring and then it starts to get stronger and then he tries to go for it and stuff um but then there's a minute just after that when he realizes what he's done um and you like he looks into Frodo's eyes and he sees Frodo so scared and afraid of him yeah. um and I think that's that's that moment of realization where he realizes what he has done like is wrong and then like it suddenly goes into this like you know you hear the orcs horn and stuff and they all turn up um and that's when you suddenly see him you know giving his life to protect the rest of them um so it is like in that space of a few minutes such a big contrast in the two characters yeah i wonder is that i mean that's Again, you know, it's the hobbits, so they're they're short, they're small, they're weak. Yeah, they're the ones he's protecting. But I mean, he could have overpowered Frodo easily and just taken it. He could yeah. have yeah, with yeah. the sword. I think there's that something about that. You know, he could have had everything he wanted. Tony Stark could have had the life he wanted, mm-hmm. but willingly give it up. 
yeah. I think something huge in that notion of of having it all and handing it all over to say, nope, I'm gonna die. And there's no coming back from that. Yeah. For for others and, and for for hobbits. And yeah, because he would have had it all. He would have ended up being king of all of the men and would have had this ring and the ring that gives you like so much power. So it was it would have been everything to him. Um but yeah, to give that up for the sake of the rest of Middle Earth. Yeah. I think like the whole sacrificial death thing, it can just change it can completely change how you sort of view a character because it can just make it because it's no matter what, if they're sort of doing it for good, then you're always mm-hmm. gonna be like sad that this character yeah. died because no matter what they've been like before, suddenly they've done this yeah. amazing yeah. act. Yeah. And then yeah. and you're like, Oh actually I like this character. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now he's dead. I think it really shows even the fact that like so Boromir saved their lives, but he was still like weak and there were still things wrong with him and he struggled and he like did things wrong. Um but even like the contrast in that to the gospel and how we see Jesus, but Jesus wasn't flawed and he wasn't in any way selfish or doing anything for his gain. Um throughout his life, like before he died as well. Yeah. And it's, I think and I think sometimes it's the same problem Superman has, that he's almost too good. And, and we find that maybe a little less interesting than someone who goes from being flawed to flawless. Um, yeah. Because we can resonate with that better than we can resonate with Christ was sinless. He was tempted in everywhere like us, but he did not sin. We have no idea what that's like. And so yeah. that's, that's kind of a, a complete other. Yeah, I think a lot of the characters are sort of redeeming themselves when they do it. Like it's all these, they yeah. might have done a lot of bad in the past, but mm-hmm. you know, this makes up, this one good act is sort of made up for it. Whereas, you know, mm. in the example of Jesus, he's not making up for anything he's done. He's actually... Which makes it painful yeah, in that sense. Yeah, it makes it almost yeah. even better. Yeah. yeah. But we yeah, don't have the capacity to yeah. resonate with it. Yeah. Because if, if in a movie you kind of see the um, main character, the kind of ultimate person in it who is, who has throughout the whole thing being good or being um, like morally upright, and everyone else, I suppose, is kind of bit dodgy a bit flawed and whatever and you see them sacrificing you're kind of like flip like they have no reason to do that like they could have it all kind of yeah. thing yeah. but even like in the way we see all of these you know heroes dying for the other good guys and stuff like that when jesus died and because we are so sinful that's jesus dying for his enemies for the orcs yeah. not like in any way we're good and we like deserve to be saved like in all these situations the good guys need to be saved so they can go on to do something else but we like completely don't deserve yeah jesus have died for us that's interesting yeah because even when what even once you become a christian and know you are saved it's not like it's a flip to then now we're also kind of yeah. perfect going on to 
live the a life exactly like Jesus. Like we still, even after being saved and um, becoming a Christian, are still messy up and failing. But yeah, mm. right, all of that is still decided to um, sacrifice himself for us. Yeah, yeah. I think. It, I mean, I, Narnia is maybe. <laughs> the exception here because it's very deliberately written yeah with possible yeah. uh agendas maybe yeah. um but it's that idea of, of aslan not giving himself necessarily for peter or susan and lucy but giving himself for edmund who betrayed him yeah mm-hmm. and betrayed the his brothers and sisters and it's that idea of there's the self-sacrifice of aslan the the great king taking on Edmund's guilt yeah. shouldn't have done it you know didn't deserve it in one sense feels like an injustice isn't an injustice but I mean that's very deliberately a gospel thing you know the you don't really need very thick gospel lenses on to see that one <laughs> well Andrew Right, so my movie slash book that I chose was Harry Potter. So to give a sort of overview of the story, if you haven't seen it, um, basically, well, it's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows that the event happens. It's the death of Harry Potter himself. Harry Potter. The boy who lived. Come to die. So basically you sort of know from the start that there's going to be this sort of Harry versus this guy Voldemort who basically represents evil in the whole way through. Um, it's actually French for flight of death. Miss Gillespie, my French teacher, told me that. So there you go. Shout out to Miss Gillespie. Um, basically, so he, he sort of what he wants is to he just doesn't want any sort of peace he wants to take over the whole wizarding world which is what it's said in whereas harry is sort of trying to achieve the peace um so there's this prophecy at the very start of one of the first books that you hear and it says uh, either must die at the hand of the other for neither can live while the other survives so the reader slash watcher always knows that um it's going to come down to Harry versus Voldemort at the end. One of them's going to have to kill the other. But in this scene in the Deathly Hallows, Harry has pretty much only just found that out because um, he finds out that actually there's a piece of Voldemort that's been living inside him. So the only way for Voldemort to die is if Harry himself dies first. So um, he then just voluntarily brings himself to Voldemort to be killed and yeah voldemort kills him so there's quite a few parallels i sort of find and by killing harry by killing harry 
the last part of Voldemort is then killed. Mm. So then Voldemort can die. But, spoiler, Harry then comes back to life. <laughs> and then kills Voldemort himself. <laughs> so I don't know if this fully counts, but... <laughs> no, we'll give you that. So Harry, so Harry doesn't know that he's going to come back? No. So I think it does, don't count. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the parallels I found was between this and sort of the gospel story was the whole prophecy part. I found that quite interesting because, you know, mm-hmm. um, there have obviously been Old Testament prophets who predicted, you know, that um, Jesus would come. Uh-huh. And Isaiah, it says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. And um, it's sort of... I don't know this idea of a prophet of a prophecy sort of when when you know it is leading to this moment to be fulfilled kind of makes the movie a lot more exciting and at least to this one moment so if you look at the bible as sort of one story going the whole way through and it all leads to this moment where you know jesus says it is finished mm-hmm. it all leads you know you see this is the most important moment sort of in history rather than just in the book does does Voldemort know that if he kills Harry, he'll die? No. No. Because he doesn't know there's a part of him okay. in Harry. But there's loads of other parts of him um, that Harry has already destroyed. And then this, the, the final part, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's quite confusing. <laughs> it's, like, it's his soul. Yeah. So he yeah. gets up his soul into like different parts and then puts them in different objects so that he can like live forever. But yeah. then Harry has to like destroy all the objects, but then realizes yeah. like the final object is the objects. Yeah. yeah, I can't exactly. remember what they call Four crooks. Oh, yeah. Well, I've heard of that. I don't know what it is, but I've heard of that. Because I suppose it's like, you know, the, the idea that, um, that that Satan entered Judas as he left the, the Last Supper, went out of the room. You know, and, and very much was involved in instigating the betrayal of Christ and his death, and presumably imagined his death as a victory. You know, not realizing that it was actually the solution. Mm. You know, thinking if, if I can get rid of Jesus, if I can get him killed, in the same way that the Pharisees were thinking, you know, if we can just get this one guy dead, then we can bring. Um, peace and prosperity, which is what happened, but not in the way they were thinking of it. It's that kind of irony, I think. It is. I think it's especially because like Voldemort kills Harry. So it's Voldemort, like mm-hmm. because he has this desire to like kill Harry. Because of that, then Voldemort like eventually dies because you know, he ends up killing part of himself. Yeah. And Harry knows when he goes, he's going to die. He knows he's yeah. going to die. Like he goes to sacrifice himself, but he doesn't know he's going to come back to life again. I think, I mean, there's something in that idea that of, of yeah, deliberately going to die of, mm. of even if, if it is, you know, we talked about, you know, that maybe that someone haphazardly dying for someone else, but even if it was the right person, you know, but incidental, 
but the idea of them actually deliberately knowing or decisively knowing that they're going to die there's something in that that's, that's haunting in a sense yeah. Yeah. you know when you get that passage in i think as it looks gospel about jesus setting his face towards jerusalem yeah. and being you know focused i'm going yeah. i'm going to die i'm being undeterred yeah yeah and harry's sort of taken this last piece of evil he's sort of killing it as he dies himself so it's almost he became the curse yeah yeah like jesus dying he brings he brings sin and death to the grave mm-hmm. sort of somewhere so what do you make about this thing why do you think it keeps recurring is it is it because of the great truth behind it like the, this this idea of a death that is sacrificial that is maybe it's seen as maybe the honorable death but also the death that achieves something you know it achieves you know thanos being defeated it achieves um the death star plans going out it achieves the hobbits being able to carry on with the ring it achieves voldemort dying it's it's the the death that is necessary and deliberately chosen at a huge cost is there a reason why it keeps coming up in stories i think especially in stories with that kind of character arc that we were talking about before it kind of goes from maybe like a flawed character someone that um you don't expect it to that sacrificial death it's very satisfying kind of as we were saying and it's um not relatable probably in the sense of oh um i can see my life heading that way but it's relatable in the sense of um this flawed person or this uh um person that um isn't perfect but is is willing to do that and you're kind of like oh you know um to have that strength or courage or um yeah inside of you or inside of them is something that people are probably like yeah i'd like to have that or um i like to actually see that and i want to be that kind of character yeah yeah I think part of it as well is like like the way you were talking about Superman and how you know he's just perfect and he's like super strong and just like he can't be defeated. Like it's when you see these heroes in this circumstance where you know they need to choose to lay their own lives down for the sake of others, and you see that like they don't just have whatever like superpowers or whatever it is that they have. Um, you're like inside they're a hero as well like it's not just their powers and strength and stuff it's that they're actually good and they're willing to you know do whatever it takes for the sake of good whatever that means to the story yeah yeah it's almost something intrinsically pure yeah yeah and i think it is that this is the closest that that we can get to that 
true definition then of love. Yeah. Of a love yeah. that is not self-serving or self-gratifying or manipulative. It's a, it's a love that is by default giving. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. you don't think if you think like, how do you, how do you portray love on screen? In movies, you know, you're going to get some stuff that maybe would make you blush to watch. But this isn't necessarily what we think of instinctively when we think of a demonstration yeah. of love. Yeah, well, I think if you think about, if you were to, I don't know, if you were asked for an example of a movie that has a great expression of love or something like that, you wouldn't necessarily go to one that has, you know, like, Star Wars or something. Yeah. I don't know if you'd be like, oh, it's, yeah, you... You go for the rom-coms and the... Something like that, which yeah. is just, like, not at all, I suppose, the kind of true biblical mm-hmm. definition of, of love, but it is the maybe um, more worldly love that people kind of are seeking after. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't think I was expecting it to be. I don't I wasn't expecting to land on the understanding of it's a it's a picture of love. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's not love as we expect to see love in the movies. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. It's almost like it's like better love. Like when you look at like the likes of all the rom coms and stuff, and even in like you're talking about marvel films like there's like different like relationships and stuff yeah. in yeah. that but then you see like this actual like final act of love which is yeah. like so much greater than any of the other stuff you see yeah mm-hmm. yeah definitely well thank you for watching uh fiction faith and familiar themes thanks pete andrew and maddie for joining me and talking about sacrificial deaths uh make sure you check out all the other videos that are coming out this week uh there's all the ones that are on youtube so check them out and uh be sure to tune in next week for more familiar themes with other familiar faces cheerio but we saw the knife If the witch knew the true meaning of sacrifice, she might have interpreted the deep magic differently. That when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack, and even death itself would turn backwards.